Welcome to Evangelistic Center Church. I want to talk to you about salvation, but I want to approach the topic of salvation from an angle that I think maybe you hadn't considered before today. And so uh, I do want to give you a little disclaimer, so uh, I hope this will make a lot of sense to you. But my goal this morning will not be to uh, cause you to doubt your salvation or to make you feel condemned, but rather uh, I want to show you what genuine salvation looks like. And I want to show you the blessings that are afforded to those who believe. And so uh, I hope that uh, this message reaches the target this morning. I feel very strong about the words that I have to speak to you today. Uh, so I'm going to begin this morning in the book of 1 Corinthians. Uh, um, that's actually going to be my primary text, excuse me. But I want to start uh, back in the book of Matthew, uh, chapter 16. And uh, this passage of Scripture and, and also the one that we'll talk about in Corinthians are pretty well known, uh, one of the more familiar passages. But I want to read to you today beginning in verse 24 of Matthew 16. And it just simply reads this way. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will find it. Now, if you've attended church any length of time at all, you've undoubtedly you've heard a message preached in Matthew 16 many, many times. Countless messages, I'm sure. Because um, every preacher, including me and every minister I've ever sat under, uh, at some point, just about every year, this message probably comes up in the sermon rotation. Um, but uh, there have been countless messages preached about what Jesus meant about the person who would follow him. What did Jesus mean when he spoke about the kinds of people that would follow him by carrying their cross? So uh, that's what we're going to talk about today. But I want to start with a short a uh, short school lesson. Now, some of y'all, when I said that, you immediately started feeling hot and sweaty, didn't you? Started talking about school. Uh, Larry, there will be a quiz. There will be a quiz later. Um, so take good notes. But how many of you are familiar with if-then statements? Anybody know what an if-then statement is? Uh, I studied engineering in school, and and we used if-then statements uh, in logic. It was called Boolean algebra, and so those were some of the things that we did. But uh, probably, uh, if, if you didn't study engineering, you probably heard them known as conditional statements. Um, so if you took geometry in high school, uh, which undoubtedly, if you took geometry, that was your favorite class, right, geometry? Um, I, don't, I still don't know what a cute triangle is. They all look the same to me. I'm not sure I know what a cute triangle is, but... If you took geometry or any other kind of computer science, you probably studied conditional statements at some time at some point in high school. So I want to give you just a short example of what a conditional statement is, uh, an if-then statement, and, he and here it goes. If you eat healthy and exercise, then you'll live longer. Is that rational? If you eat healthy and exercise, then you will live longer. So the part that comes after the if is what is called the condition. So here's the, here's the condition if you eat healthy and exercise. Now, I'm not going to ask who in here eats healthy and exercises, but you can probably tell by looking at me, I'm not sure I do that just right. But the eating healthy and exercise is the condition, and then the part that comes after the then is the conclusion. So the condition is if you eat healthy and exercise, the conclusion is you'll live longer. That makes sense? That's enough school for one day. I can see that you are not enjoying that. Um, the condition is eating healthy, and the resulting conclusion is that you'll live longer. Well, you can also say that in reverse. You could say it like this. If you want to live longer, 
then eat healthy and exercise. Pretty straightforward, right? Those are called conditional statements. Now, here in Matthew 16, Jesus uses a kind of a conditional statement himself in Matthew 16. And here's the condition. He says, if anyone wants to follow after me. Well, if you want to follow after Jesus, and I'm not going to ask by a showing of hands, but I would assume because you are here today that you want to follow Jesus. So here's the condition. If you want to follow after me, then here's the conclusion. Here is the action required to follow after Jesus, and that is that you deny yourself and take up your cross. So if you take up your cross and deny yourself, then you will be a follower of Jesus. Make sense? Matthew 16, 24 in the CSB, I read that to you before, it phrases it like this, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. But in the King James, the wording is just a little bit different, and it says this, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now, uh, I want to I take you somewhere this morning, and I, and I want to begin by showing you uh, some kind of interesting um, uh, passage, interesting aspects about the word follow in the King James. The word translated as follow in English are two very different words. And I don't know if you can put, uh, if you can put the CSB version back up on the screen. I can't remember if I gave you uh, the slide for that or not. Now notice in this passage, it's on the screen up here, then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wants to follow after me, then let him deny himself, take up his cross, and do what? Follow me. But the words follow, translated follow in English, are actually two completely different words in the Greek. Uh, the first word follow in the Greek is, is a word called erkome, and I don't speak Greek, but that's as close as I can get to. But it means this. It means to move towards something with a specified purpose, to move towards something with a purpose. Now, when John the Baptist was in prison, and you're familiar with this story, but uh, when he was in prison, he sent word to Jesus through the disciples, and he asked them a very specific question. He said this, Are you the one who is to come, or, we, or should we expect someone else? That phrasing by John the Baptist is the same word used here by Jesus in Matthew 16. The phrase to come means if you want to go where I'm going, that would be the Noah Oki translation. Anybody here speak Oki besides me? That first follow there means if you want to go where I go. Make sense? If you want to go where I'm going, in other words, if you want to follow me, so if you want to go where I'm going, then some conclusion or some action on your part will be required. If you want to go where I go, then you're going to take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. If you want to go where I go. Now, Jesus was saying maybe this. Uh, scholars kind of can't agree on this, but probably what Jesus was talking about here in Matthew 16 was this is just before he went to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. Uh, and, and you know the story, Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Probably Jesus here in Matthew 16, verse 24, Jesus was probably saying, Hey, guys, I'm getting ready to go to Jerusalem, and if you want to come after me, does that make sense? If you want to follow me where I go, if you want to walk with me to Jerusalem, then there are some things that you're going to do. So he's probably just saying, I'm going someplace, and do you want to go with me? Now, I want you to kind of hang on tight here for just a second because I think this is what's happening. If you want to go where I go, then, he says, then do some stuff and follow me. If you want to go where I'm going, you do some things, and then you'll follow me. Now, the second English word, the word that we've translated as follow, the second word's not the same as the first. The second word means to obey 
or to accept as authority, or how about this, to accompany someone who takes the lead. So you could really write, if you put this together, you could write Matthew 16 as this way. This way. If you want to go where I'm going, then you obey me and let me take the lead. Does that make sense? See, and that's what Jesus was telling the disciples. Now, again, the scholars, they can't quite decide. Maybe he was talking about his literal journey into Jerusalem. But most likely he was referring to what he understood that maybe the disciples did not understand yet. But there was a time coming when Jesus was going to walk to his death. And so the disciples, and they've said the whole time, you remember even Peter, he said, hey, Jesus, I, I don't know what you're talking about because I'll never deny you. You remember that? I'll never deny you and I'll go where you go. And Jesus said some things to the disciples. He said stuff like this. You know, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man, I don't even have anywhere to lay, lay my head and yet you want to go with me. You know, Jesus never, he never gave these uh, very soft-spoken, easy, happy-go-lucky directions to the disciples. Uh, Jesus never said, well, if you guys just pray this prayer, then we're good. He told them things like, if you're going to go with me, I want you to understand that where I'm going is going to be tough. Now, if you want to go where I'm going, then this is how you'll do that. You'll obey me, and you'll let me take the lead. Now, wouldn't it seem like salvation messages would really go a lot different uh, on Easter Sunday when, you know, normally you see churches say, you know, we had 35 people saved today. Do you, don't you think that, that that would go different if pastors say, guys, here's what I want you to know. If you're going to follow Jesus, then it may mean uh, that you are going to lose your life for his sake. Can, can you imagine how many people just stand in line for that? I mean, they'd just be chomping at the bit to, oh, that pastor told me if I'm going to follow Jesus, then it may cost me my life. Ultimately, what Christ was telling the disciples was that very thing. If you want to go where I'm going, then you're going to have to obey me and then I'm going to have to take the lead. So really what Jesus is saying here, I think, is that following him means a self-sacrificial discipleship. It means obeying him in everything that we do. And what does that look like? I mean, what does it look like to obey Christ in everything we do? Well, Jesus gave some real specific directions. And, and, and it begins here by saying, if you want to follow. And the, uh, the tense of that verb, to follow, what it means there is that it is an ongoing following. So in other words, when he says, if you want to follow me, he's not saying, if you just want to follow me this one time. He's saying, if you intend to follow me and keep following me and keep following me all the days of your life, then here are some things that are going to have to happen in order for you to do that. How many of you know that when Christ asks you to follow him, it's not just a one-time thing? Let's try that again. How many of you know that when Christ says, you are to follow me, and then when you say, yes, Father, will you cleanse me from my sins because I want to be right with you, how many of you know that that's not just, well, I said a prayer and now I'm done and then we go on living our own way? Right? If you're going to follow, and the tense of that verb means if you're going to follow and keep following. Have you ever... Uh, now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get in trouble here, and I do that a lot on Sundays, and it's usually when I go off my notes, but I'm going to go ahead and do it anyhow. Um, how many of you have, I'm just talking to the men, ladies, you're going to want to lash out, don't yet. How many of you men have ever had to go somewhere driving and your wife was going to follow you? And how'd that work out? 
Only, the only people that aren't saying amen is because you're sitting by your wife. Mine's down there. She can't hit me yet. I mean, sometimes I'll swear when I'm going someplace and Rusty say, well, I'm just going to follow you. I swear I drive 10 miles an hour slower. Uh, I almost stop on green lights. I, I mean, I do everything I can to keep up, and she can't anymore keep up with me than anything. And then when we get to where we're going, you can imagine what she says. Why were you driving like a maniac? Anybody want to say amen? Are you all afraid of your wife? Yeah, I got a few of those. All right, ladies, you can go ahead and punch them now because they already said that. But see, to follow, if we were going to leave here and go home and Rusty was going to follow me, follow is not just follow me out of the parking lot. Follow is we're going to follow all the way home, right? We're going to continue following. When you come to know Christ, he's not saying, well, you follow me today by praying this prayer and confessing these sins, but then tomorrow, then you go ahead and go your own way. You go ahead and live your life however you want. You know what? The gospel doesn't preach that. That is not true. That's not the way that God works. There was a, there was a lady Rusty worked with. This was years and years and years ago. None of y'all would even know her. Uh, I actually went to school with her son, high school. And uh, he was living a lifestyle. There was nothing about it that you would say was Christian. And one time she told Rusty, well, we had him baptized when he was a child, so I know everything's okay. See, there was nothing about the relationship with Jesus that ever says, well, you go ahead and start following, but you don't have to keep doing it. You just, you get this right today, then you go ahead and go do what Noah wants to do. See, what Jesus was saying in Matthew 16 is if you want to go where I'm going, in other words, if you want to follow me, then you're going to keep following me, and you're going to obey me, and then you're going to let me take the lead. That's what he's talking about here. Amen? So Jesus gave very specific instructions. If you want to follow, then deny yourself and take up your cross. Now, earlier in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus also spoke about what it meant to, uh, to follow him. And speaking to the disciples, and this is actually Matthew chapter 10, verse 38, so about six chapters earlier, he says this. He says, whoever doesn't take up his cross is not worthy of me. Well, that's a pretty strong uh, warning, isn't it? Whoever doesn't take up his cross is not worthy of me. Now, this interaction in Matthew 16, I told you this a while ago, but it takes place just before Christ enters into Jerusalem. And so his journey to the cross to pay for our sin, that was imminent. It was going to happen just within a few days. So to take up the cross and follow would become very prophetic for the disciples because what, what was going to happen is the day was coming very soon that Jesus would journey up Golgotha. And as he's journeying up, uh, you can read about it. You, if you go to Jerusalem now, you can walk the Via Della Rosa, which was the road to Golgotha. Jesus walked up the road to Golgotha carrying his cross and as he was carrying his cross, it was his journey to become not only the sacrifice, but also the sacrificer. He was the sacrifice and the one making the sacrifice. So the disciples were going to see Jesus walk up this hill to give his very life. And just the couple of days before, he says, if you want to go where I'm going, then you carry your cross. And doesn't it seem, doesn't it just make logical sense to you that maybe Jesus was foreshadowing that the day was coming very quickly that he would carry his cross for you? So, so Christ says, okay, guys, you're, you want to follow after him, but here's what's coming. I'm going to carry my cross up the hill, and if you want to go with me, if you want to go where I'm going, then you'll carry your cross as well. They would share the same fate of Jesus because they proclaimed 
Christ as Messiah. They were going to share in His suffering. Because to follow Christ, the disciples would have to let Jesus take the lead and they would have to go wherever He took them. And so what that meant was a surrender of self-will in favor of God's will. A man named R.T. France says it like this. I'm going to move this microphone down just a little bit. You'd think I'd have that in the right spot by now. A man named R.T. France says it like this. He says the disciple will find that in following Jesus, he must take his cross. After Jesus' own crucifixion, the meaning would be obvious. The public criticism and verbal abuse of the walk through Jerusalem to Golgotha and the painful and unjust death, if they were not the disciples' literal fate, vividly illustrated what he could expect from them. And here's the expectation. You want to know what the expectation is? the expectation that Jesus had for His disciples, here's the expectation. It would be like master, like servant. In other words, you as my servant, you will live the way that I live. You will do what I do. Now, now I don't want you to miss this. If discipleship means identifying with Jesus, continually following Him, and allowing Him to take the lead and direct your very footsteps, then to be a disciple means, now don't miss this, To be a disciple means that we can expect to share the same fate as Jesus. That's heavy. If following Him means that we let Him take the lead and direct our steps, then you and I can expect to share the same fate as Jesus. Now, you're probably thinking, I mean, I can can read your thoughts, you're probably thinking, okay, so are you telling me that we're going to have to be crucified? Well, probably not. I don't know that anybody in America has ever been crucified. Not that I'm aware of. Maybe some history teachers could tell me that would be different. Probably you won't be crucified. But what happened to the apostles and the disciples' decision to follow Christ? What happened to them? What did it cost them? Listen to just a couple. James was killed by the sword. Church history says that Paul was beheaded in Rome. Peter was crucified, not just crucified, but upside down. Andrew was crucified. Thomas was martyred by soldier spears. Philip was, killed, Philip was killed by the Romans in North Africa. Matthew was martyred in Ethiopia. Bartholomew was martyred in southern Arabia. James, the son of Alphaeus, was stoned to death. And Simon was killed in Persia. So for these faithful men, following Jesus meant giving their very lives. Following Jesus for the disciples meant that it cost them their very lives. But yet when we, and this was in the New Testament, this was not an Old Testament thing, this was in the New Testament, but somehow we read the Scripture and we look at the disciples and we see what it cost them, but yet we think in our westernized religion of Christianity, we think, well, as long as I just say a prayer and as long as I tick the box that I've attended church on Sunday, that's all that it will ever cost me. And never one time did Christ proclaim that following Him would not cost you something. Never, not once, did He say, if you want to have a life of ease and a life of pleasure and a life free of pain and a life that allows you to have and go and be and do whatever you want, then follow Me. Actually, His preaching was the exact opposite of that. If you want to follow Me and you want to keep following Me, then you better know this you will have to take up your cross and you will have to deny yourself. And in doing that, then and only then will you follow me. You're going to have to let me lead. I'm going to be in control and not you. And and 
And isn't this amazing? Because when we preach these kind of messages, everybody just, your brain starts to turn over and you think, well, is this right? I mean, could this be it? Could this really be what we're talking about? And, and I think it absolutely is that following Jesus is going to cost you something. And, and if you think that it doesn't, then you just haven't been paying attention in places like Afghanistan where there are thousands of Christians being persecuted, uh, their lives being threatened just simply because they call themselves Christians. And is it because that they don't have faith? Or is it because Jesus has told us that following me may mean that it costs you everything? Heavy, right? But I got good news. I got good news in all of this. Actually, this is all good news. Even though I'm telling you that it will cost you everything, there should be a whole lot of amens right there. And here's why. Because this cross that Christ went to, when he told the disciples, if you're going to go where I'm going, then you'll follow me, even following me to the cross. I, I got news for you today. Good news. The cross of Christ brings transformation. The cross brings transformation. Now I want to go to my primary text this morning, and don't panic, I'm not preaching another hour. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, and then I'll move down to verse 23 and read a couple more verses. Now listen to this, 1 Corinthians 1, 18. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but is the power of God to us who are being saved. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. Yet, to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Isn't that amazing? Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God because God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Now this should go without saying, but in case you weren't aware, God's wisdom is far superior to man's wisdom. From the very beginning, God's wisdom has stood in stark contrast to the wisdom of men. And if we look at the cross of Christ through the eyes of men, it's foolishness. And if you don't believe that it's foolishness, you just haven't been paying attention to the news. Because the problem that people have with Christians is not just because they don't like what you say, it's because they have utter disdain for Jesus. The whole message of preaching this cross and sacrificial, sacrificial living and, and uh, living your life in a manner that, that prefers your brother over yourself and having a standard that you choose to live up to rather than following your own will and your own plan that is so foreign to the world they don't know what to do with it. And they say things like, well, you're ignorant and you're unlearned and you're narrow-minded. But Christ says this, My, God's wisdom is higher than your wisdom. And if you're going to go where Christ goes, then it's going to cost you everything. And I probably haven't convinced you yet, but I'm hoping to here in a moment. I mean, don't you get tired of, uh, has anybody besides me, don't you just get kind of tired of churchy stuff? You know, things that, you know, people have, and I'm not beating up any churches or, I'm not trying to do that. I'm just going to take kind of from my heart. But, you know, I get kind of tired of things that we just do and say because it's churchy. It doesn't do a whole lot for me. What I like, what I desire, and what I think the world desires is people that are genuinely in love with Jesus and, who, and in whom His life has transformed their life. 
And that transformed life comes from, just like he told the disciples, it comes from your submission of your will to his. And see, uh, this is not something that's easy for us to do, especially in America. I made a comment in Sunday school today, and I I think it's absolutely true. You may disagree with it, and that's fine. Uh, But I think social media has created a world of narcissists. I think we all, including me, I'm not not pointing the finger at you. I'm saying me. I'm, I'm included. We all like people to look at our social media and think how great we are, right? I mean, if when, I used to say, and I'm going to, I hope I don't embarrass my family, but um, you all know I raised two girls. I didn't raise any boys. And so I've always watched football by myself. I, my, my girls couldn't, could not carry any less than they do. Except Samantha was kind of in it yesterday. She, but it's like one of the first full games she watched uh, my Cowboys lose. And so she now is understanding the misery and pain that comes with being wearing orange and black. But uh, I was telling a friend one time, because they were he was talking about uh, he had a son that was, uh, he was a starting quarterback on the Prague football team. And so we'd go to the football games and watch him play. And, uh, and, and rightfully so, dad walked around, chest puffed out, you know, that's my son. And I said, well, you know, I didn't. I didn't, raise, uh, I didn't raise boys, I raised girls. I said, but when, when uh, this was at the time that Samantha started singing at the church, and I said, every time that one of mine sings, that's, how I, that's my version of touchdown. Does that make sense? That's how I felt. And uh, now Lindsay, she, uh, she just, Lindsay really runs the church. You know, it's not me, it's really Lindsay uh, runs the church. And so every time she's doing that, I mean, that's that for me, if you raise boys, you saw touchdowns. For me, I mean, I get excited about singing and, and uh, organization and the church calendar. and uh, It's just different. It's just different. But, you know, we're, we're all together. And so I like to put, you know, when my kids do something, uh, you know, Samantha's trying to get her doctorate. She's working towards that. And Lindsay's getting ready to graduate uh, with her bachelor's degree. She's going to be a school teacher. And so when they graduate, I mean, I'm going to be the first one to put pictures on my Facebook page and, and I'm going to tell you that my kids are better than your kids. I mean, I, I mean, I, I mean, I'm this, I'm a dad just like you. And then you're going to send back, no, no way, my kids are better than your kids. I get it. I, I really, I really do. And there's not anything wrong with that. I, I'm not preaching against that. But what I am preaching is what I think it's done is it's created within us this idea that it's all about us. That this is everything is about us. And when you look at our nation, it is everything is all about us. But God tells us that his wisdom is far greater than our wisdom. And when we look at the cross through the eyes of man, it is foolishness. Because with man's eyes, we can't possibly understand the cross. But in the eyes of God, the cross brought the salvation of man. In the eyes of God, this instrument of torture is what brought you life and life everlasting. It's where life and life everlasting came from was through this instrument of torture because the only salvation, the only adequate payment to atone for our sin was the shedding of blood. And Christ shed His blood so that you and I could be saved. Now, if you're a disciple, you understand this truth, right? I mean, you understand the truth of Christ making payment for our mistakes. But for those who are not saved, it's foolishness. They can't understand it. I mean, more than once I've heard people say, I don't understand, I don't understand why you would do that. I mean, why does that matter? How come you Christians are this way? But there's an irony here that I think many Christians have fallen victim to. 
there, there's an irony in the cross that Christians have fallen victim to, and, and I don't want you to miss this. But the cross means the death of self and the exaltation of Christ. God never meant to bless self. The, the message of the cross was not to bless self. The cross was meant as the death of self. A man named Dutch Sheets, he says it far better than I could. And this is how Dutch Sheets says this. He says, God doesn't want to bless self. He wants it dead. Now, now everybody look at me. I want to make sure you don't miss this. One of the greatest heresies we could preach is that Jesus went to the cross so we don't have to. One of the greatest heresies, I'm going to say it again, that we could preach is that Jesus went to the cross so that we wouldn't have to. And while that is true in a physical sense, it is not true spiritually. Jesus went to the cross so we could also go to the cross, thereby bringing about the death of the old man. He went to the cross so that the old you could die with Jesus. He went to the cross so that all of the, all of the hatefulness and the bitterness and the anger and the wrath and in all the ways that we as humans fall short... Jesus went to the cross so that you and I could go to an altar and we could lay our lives down at the foot of that very cross and we could say, God, would you get rid of the old man and make me new? This message of the gospel was never about, I'm going to the cross so you can feel good about yourself. I went to the cross so that, so that you could continue to live however you want. We have turned the cross into self-exaltation and God meant the cross to be the death of self and the exaltation of Jesus. So he went to the cross so that our self would be, would be killed, would be under the blood, would be over with. And see, it kind of makes sense when you think about it in that term when, when you look back at what Jesus was telling the disciples in Matthew 16. If you want to go where I'm going, if you want to come where I'm going, in other words, if you want to ride with me, then I'm going to lead and you're going to follow. And in that leading and your following, that means that you will deny yourself and then you will take up your own cross and follow me. And how do we do that? Well, we bring self to the altar and we lay it before God and we say, I don't want the old anymore. I want what you want for me. And see, I'm convinced that when we, when we understand that, when we fully understand what it means to be saved, then all of the thinking about eternity and any fear of death and the sting, the fear of the grave and the sting of death, all of those things, they just start to melt away. Because in that moment, we understand that everything that I am in myself, everything that, that, that I am without Jesus, that cannot go to heaven. There's never going to be a person that lives their life in a manner so good and so holy that they get it all right and they earn their ticket to heaven. Only one man ever did that, and his name is Jesus. And so you only have two options. Option one is that you attempt to pay to atone for your sin yourself. That's option one, is you attempt to make good on all the stuff that you've done wrong. And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I hope when I say, how many of you in here want to face God someday and answer for your mistakes? How many of you would like to do that? None of us. But see, here's the beauty of the cross. The cross brings transformation. The cross transforms our old life into a new one. The cross transforms us 
from a person who lives after self and self-will, self-desire, self-gratification, and it moves us into the kingdom. The Bible says in the King James, the kingdom of his dear son. And while we were yet enemies, Christ died for us. We are now children of God, joint heirs with Christ. And the only way that we get there is when we say, you know what, I'm going to follow you and I'm going to keep following you and I want self to, to vanish because I want in my life what you want for me. And when we do that, then we can expect then that God will do exactly what he said that he would do. And he said that he would forgive us our sins. The cross is where we must die daily, and we've missed that pitifully. That she, she continues, I just want to read you one more little thing that he says. He says this, the cross is not something to wear around your neck. It's supposed to wear us. Consider the fact that much of the time when Jesus is mentioned going to the cross, he added the fact that we too must go there. More than just symbolic, more than a symbolic identification with him, don't disarm it with such a powerless interpretation. Jesus speaks of a very real laying down of our lives. When we're told to lay down our lives in the New Testament, it's referring to the exalted self-life that came at the fall. Therefore, when we're commanded to lay down our lives, we're being told to lay down the life that is rooted in the exalted soul of humankind, that which causes rebellion, independence, and self-exaltation. And again, if we don't bring this to the cross and find true repentance, there will be no transformation. The cross is meant to transform. The cross means that you can have a transformed life. And here's what it means to you. It means the death of self and the exaltation of Christ because you cannot serve God and self at the same time. Now, remember our condition. Remember the conditional statement. If you, then you must. If you want to follow, then you must lay down your life. And as I spoke to you earlier, my goal this morning was not to cause you to doubt your salvation or to make you feel condemned, but rather to show you what genuine salvation looks like and the blessings that are afforded to those who believe. Amen? It's okay to say amen. If you want to follow Christ, then here's what you'll do today, church. You will deny yourself and you will take up your cross and you will let him lead. Wherever he wants to go, you'll let him lead. Whatever he tells you to do, let him lead. And, and it may mean, church, it may mean that he leads you through difficult places. At small group uh, Friday night uh, at, at my house, we talked about, talked about some of that. Following Christ may mean that it's not always rosy. You ever lost a friend because you're a Christian? You ever stood up for something about the cause of Christ and it caused you trouble? You ever uh, been told how you can act or not act at work in relation to Christianity? Has any of that ever happened to you? You ever, you ever carried a Bible through places that people told you you can't bring one here? If you haven't, probably it's coming. Because we live in a more hostile world against Christianity than at any time before. So if we are a people that says, we're going to follow you, then whatever he tells you to do, you let him lead. And he may take you through difficult places, but when you follow, you need never fear. You need never fear. And here's why. Because heaven waits. Eternity with Christ awaits. The cross transforms and secures. And above all else, you submit your will to his. You follow Jesus and you keep on following him. Follow Jesus and you keep on following. Worship team, if you'd come up. You follow Jesus and you keep on following. The cross is meant to transform. I think we've woefully missed it when we try to make Christianity about us. 
I, I liked I, I liked that I liked reading that, that the part that I read about Dutch sheets because he talks about that we say Jesus went to the cross so we don't have to. And, and, and I understand that sentiment, and if you've said that, I, I mean, I've said that a thousand times. I understand the sentiment. We're really just saying that we don't have to physically die for our sins. But the cross was never about, was never about giving you an easy way out. The cross was the crucifixion of yourself. You remember last week we baptized those kids? That was awesome, seeing those four young, young people be baptized. You know, the baptism... One of the things that when I talked to Lindsay and Alex and I said, I want you to visit with those kids and tell them this. But, but the thing about baptism was it was symbolic of our death in Christ, right? You're buried in the water and then you're raised again. Is that true? Y'all with me? That that's what baptism was about? We are crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. The crucifixion means the death of self. And, and this may sound hard today, but you know what? This really... This is really pretty easy. It's easy in this sense. All we got to do is just submit our will to his and just let him lead. And when we do, you know what? Uh, uh, all that other stuff will take care of itself. I mean, if you want peace, if you want peace and you want contentment and you want joy and you want strength, the best thing you can do is you lay your life down and you follow his. Because I can promise you the only place that you're going to find the kind of life you look for is when you lay this life down at the cross and you take up yours and you follow him. That's it. The cross transformed.